Welcome to Trial by Wine. We take a closer look at crimes that highlight how fascinating humans can be. Schmitty, Swanee and Clarky visit crimes and run them through their jury of three, debating both sides of the case to agree an appropriate, if totally fictitious, sentence. Please be advised, Trial by Wine may include explicit or disturbing content and will include drunken rambling. Listener discretion is advised. All right, how are we? Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's in my seat. <laughs> For those of you who listened to last week's episode, this is a carry-on because because <laughs> we, we like, like to carry, to carry on. on. <laughs> 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 yes, exactly that. And <laughs> also because Clarky brought us the, I was going to say meatiest, but that's a bad choice of phrase. Oh, um, God. The... Most extensive case I think we've covered so far. And so we are probably going to, if everyone's okay, skip all the what have we been doing because we didn't do anything because I literally pressed stop, said goodbye, and we'll start again. So, yes, we've done, we're have done. we doing a back-to-back because Clarkie's brought us the most prolific case ever. Yeah. But before we crack on with where we end up with this one, what are we drinking? Oh, well. well we've got a carryover Prosecco. Just just so you know, this is it's an Italian Prosecco, which is delicious. It says hand-picked and it says some words in Italy that... Hand-picked by you when you pulled it off the shelf. Well, yeah. no, it says some words in Italian that I literally can't even be bothered trying to focus on because um, <laughs> we started pre-gaming before the last episode so we are polishing off our third bottle. And the last episode took three hours to record. Yeah, correct. So, yeah. so, some of that first bottle and some of the second bottle has helped. Uh, we had a friend help us out with. So, you know, it's yeah. not like we've had a bottle and a half each. But and these Russian words are not going to get easier to pronounce. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not getting any better. I'm about to move on to a, a Moby prep because I've got a day procedure tomorrow. Oh! <laughs> What right. do you mean a Moby prep? I know what you mean, I think. It's, it's a, a colonic irrigation. It cleans yes. you out so that you can have a camera. Up oh, it doesn't bottom. sound like a good idea to have been drinking before that. But, okay. All right, that's probably it's, TMI. It, hang on, but anyway. hang on. You say that, but we did look at it extensively and it was a, it's called the white diet. And as long as you have white things, it's okay, other than milk. Oh, so Prosecco's white. Yeah, okay. And so, right. so we did do a red we did do a rosé. specifically Google... Alcohol and it said you can have a moderate amount of alcohol, so which we have done. We've oh, kept by the time the... you clean out your bum sack, everything we've had a fun. couple of moderate <laughs> amount of alcohol. <laughs> anyway, enough about I've us. Had, well, speaking of people who've had too much to drink, speaking I'm of my... bum sacks, oh, I thought you were saying Tony's coming in to join you. I don't even know where I got bum sack from. I think it's a bum crack, but I've, I'm on my sixth cruiser I'm now. Glad. So because I didn't know what a bum sack was. I thought it would be something. It was a I thought that's something you could pop, like Lance or something. Oh, Lance, your bum Clark, sack. didn't you once have a bum sack? Anyway, that's another story. <gasps> I did. I know. It's yes. another story. It's another story. Let's not get on to that. Well, it wasn't anyway. a bum sack. It was a little hole. Remember was that? Remember you had fistula. that thing? A fistula. A fistula. Yeah. Oh. A fistula. It's like a... Um, a fistula, a fistula, a fistula. That's exactly what I was thinking of when I went to Sacre Coeur and they had a lovely fistula. I mean, a fistula, fistula. Anyway, enough. Yes, there's something significant about to be announced. I'm, I'm drinking, Trumpets. and I'm drinking. Um, a lovely rosé that mm. Schmidty gifted me because I think she's so <gasps> desperate for you to drink and it's my favourite and it's a Côte de Provence 
uh, Ramodor is what it's called, and it's Beautiful. lovely. Yes. And the reason I'm so desperate for you to drink is that you come and you record and you talk about your hangover from the night before, <laughs> and then you never drink with us. And I'm like, well, I know it's that I don't drink, but I can't. I know, it's because it's time the timing difference. and doing stuff for children. Yeah. It's very difficult for me to understandably. Be able to, yeah. We completely understand it now. It's time difference whatever else, but because of the time. Yeah, because of the time difference, it's now f- over four o'clock for you. Yes. And you have listened to three hours of <laughs> blood and guts and grease of off horror. the road. So oh. it's time. Do you remember that Sards ad? I do. Yes. No, yeah. I don't. Blood I don't. And guts and grease, don't. grease off the when rod. When he comes I don't home know with blood and guts and grease <laughs> off the rod, I need my Sards one to say. I get should the, remember it, but I've not heard that. But I, it was, yeah, it was a, like, an, old, an old old lady talking about cleaning off. And yeah. she when was her really husband talking about came home from fishing. Fishing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Anywho, yeah. and murder and rape. So what do you do with Vaseline and penises? Would and anyone just, before, like, we, just oh, before we move on, I'm yeah. Schmitty. I'm Swanee. And I'm Clarky. And together we are Trial by Wine. And a little bit loose today. Okay. Oh, a lot Clarky, um, tell before, us more about our, well, our next Well, what I want to know is yep. does anyone want to do a quick recap on what happened last episode or would you like me to do that? You, you do. do. Oh, I, I, I'm happy to do it. Go on then, but do it in jest. Oh, of course. Okay, so we start <laughs> out talking about this bloke, right, and his name's Chikatilo, you and I know. Andre Chikatilo, right? And yep. we all felt sorry for him for a while because he had a really shit upbringing. He had to share his bed with his mother and he was a bedwetter and she smashed him around a bit and he got bullied at school and, you know, lots of bad things. And then, then we think, oh, no, things are turning a corner. He's academically bright. Everything's okay. And then it turns out he can't get a hard on and that turns out to be a pathological issue for him and he has subsequently gone on to kill and we're up to 49. So I think we've now covered in the last episode oh, 49 exceptionally gruesome, exceptionally awful crimes against Notice. children, uh, both male, female, women, just everyone. And we're also the other side of this story is we're talking about the well, it's a cultural context, I suppose, of the USSR at the time where we didn't talk about these things and that, you know, serial killers weren't a thing in Russia because it was a kind of political play, which led us to not actually find this guy, not actually stop these things from happening. And more importantly, where's the rest of the community? Because this has been going on around people and Carla, map lady, in the last episode <laughs> map lady. Was, map lady. <laughs> was looking at well, geography gal, if you like. <laughs> no, math lady's good. <laughs> Was looking at kind of a lot of this happens in kind of the same place. Ooh. So why aren't people even more concerned about it? So is that an appropriate, do you think that was a good I, I, roundup? Yeah, I think it was very good. Um, I did have one question for you, which was sure. um, did we actually establish that I'm probably half Russian due to my exceptional pronunciation? <laughs> I think anyone no. who listened to the last episode, they'd know that. Oh, okay, it's, right. So we're going to go with that answer. Yeah. Okay, yeah. They would, they, oh, how could, they not, how could yeah. they not know? I thought right. you were an eighth German. Well, I'm, I think I'm an eighth German. I'm going to go so far as to say the half that you are Russian is the bottom half because what's coming out of your mouth? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rude, I know. Wow. I find what you impertinent. <laughs> Come on, Leonard, we're leaving. 
Sorry. Right. Okay. So we've discussed a lot of his murders and a whole lot of kind of, quite frankly, unbelievable stuff that uh, has shocked us all and pushed us to the point of inappropriate humour. We're now going to talk a little bit about the journey towards uh, catching the killer. So as we already spoke about, there were significant resources dedicated to the search, but uh, as the discovery of more victims continued, uh, it sparked an even bigger police operation. Because several victims' bodies had been discovered at railway stations on one rail route through Rostov Oblast, Burakov suggested a plan to saturate all larger stations in the region with an obvious uniform police presence, which mm. the killer could not fail to notice. <laughs> you might think how ridiculous, but the, the point was that this would discourage him from operating at these stations and push him to smaller, less busy stations, which would be patrolled by undercover agents. Oh, smart. Ununiform. So it's yeah. super clever, right? I actually think this is a really uh, it's quite smart a good plan. Yeah. plan. Yeah, yeah. Smart, yeah. The plan was approved and implemented shortly thereafter. The uniformed and undercover officers were instructed to question any adult man in the company of a young woman or child and note his name and passport number. Police deployed 360 men at all the stations in the Rostov Oblast, but only undercover officers were posted at the three smallest stations on the route through the Oblast where the killer had struck most frequently. Kundrucha, Don Leskov and Lesser Kundruk. <laughs> Kundrucha. I'm like, what? That's a half Russian. Yeah, Kundrucha. Kundrucha. Okay. That's your half Russian hearing, but between <laughs> my half Russian pronunciation and your half Russian hearing. <laughs> okay. In an effort to force the killer to strike at one of these three stations, the operation was implemented on the 27th of October 1990. So, so you've got this operation going on across all of the train stations on this route, three train stations policed with undercover police so that he will be forced to kill at these train stations. Yeah. Hopefully. A lot smaller stations too. Yeah. So it started on the 27th of October. You think not, hope, not forced to kill but, you know, to hunt perhaps, but okay. It started on the 27th <sighs> of October. Three days later on the 30th of October, police found the body of a 16-year-old boy Vadim Gromov at Don Leskov's station, which is one of mm. the three. The wounds upon Gromov's body immediately linked his murder to the manhunt. The youth had been strangled, stabbed 27 times and castrated, oh, with the God. tip of his tongue severed and oh. his left eye stabbed. Oh, <clears throat> Gromov had been killed on the 17th of October, 10 days before the start of the initiative. So. Aha. That was um, the so they just found that, his body. They correct. Yeah, okay, three days, so, but three days after, right? They'd just go, "My God, are you kidding me? He's already done it." And then uh, I guess retrospectively, they'd work out that it, it was already happened. Back yeah, then. yeah. Okay. Yeah. The same day Gromov's body was found, so the thirtieth of October, Chikatilo lured another sixteen-year-old boy, Victor Tishchenko, off a train at. Kirpichnaya station and killed him in a nearby forest. So Kirpichnaya wasn't one of the three, but I'm not sure where it sits on the line and whether there, it was being policed or not. And he was, yes, yeah, so he was killed in a nearby forest. Tishchenko's body bearing 40 separate knife wounds was found Jesus. on the 3rd of November. On the 6th of November, 1990, Chikatilo killed and mutilated a 22-year-old woman 
Svetlana Korostik in Woodland near Don Leskov Station. So again, one it's of working the working well, isn't it? One of the three. I know, right? Like, but imagine, imagine all of these resources, and it's still happening. I know. Yeah, but but, it, but wait yeah. for it. Hmm. After the murder, Chikatilo returned to the railway platform where he was spotted by an undercover officer named Igor Rybakov. Now, old mate Igor was an effective detective. Uh-huh. He observed Chikatilo approached a well and wash his hands and face. Hmm. He also noted that Chikatilo's coat had grass and soil stains on the <gasps> elbows. Mm-hmm. Chikatilo also had a small red smear on his cheek Mm. and what appeared to be a, a severe wound to one of his fingers. To Rybakov, he looked suspicious. The only reason people entered woodland near Donleskov mm. station at the time of the year was to gather wild mushrooms, a popular pastime in Russia. But Chikatilo was not dressed like a typical forest scavenger. He was wearing more <laughs> formal attire. He wasn't dressed like a mushroom man. Yeah. Forest scavenger. Like, mm. oh, it's such a good term. Moreover, he had a nylon sports bag, which was unsuitable for carrying mushrooms. <laughs> Yeah, you got to take a brown paper bag. Exactly. <laughs> I'll put my mushrooms in a Why? bloody plastic bag when I bring it home. What? They just sweat. Yeah, they I sweat. like to carry my mushrooms in a string bag. I certainly <laughs> won't do it in a nylon bag because I'll sweat. Mm, inappropriate. Mm. I wouldn't know. I don't eat mushrooms anyway. Rybakov <laughs> stopped Chikatilo, obviously because of this contradiction, and checked his papers but had no formal reason to arrest him. Remember, he was not aware of any murder that had taken place on that day. When Rybakov returned to his office, he filed a routine report containing the name of the person he had stopped at the station and the possible smear observed upon his cheek. On the 13th of November, Korostik's body was found she was the 38th victim linked to the manhunt. Police examined the reports of all men stopped and questioned in the previous week. Not only was Chikatilo's name among those reports, but it was familiar to several officers involved in the case because he had been questioned in 1984 and had been placed upon a 1987 suspect list compiled and distributed throughout the Soviet Union. This provided police with a clear suspect and they began checking with previous employers about his movements. This placed him in various towns and cities at times when victims linked to the investigation had been murdered. They also questioned former colleagues from Chikatilo's teaching days and discovered that he was forced to resign from two teaching positions due to repeated complaints of lewd behaviour and sexual assault made by his pupils. Police placed Chikatilo under surveillance on the 14th of November in several instances, particularly on trains or buses, he was observed approaching lone young women or children and engaging them in conversation. If the women or children broke off the conversation, Chikatilo would wait a few minutes and then seek another. Ugh. Ooh, it's so creepy. It's so creepy, right? It's, oh, it's, it's just gross. like, you know, all those stories that you heard in the 80s of dirty pedos and stranger danger and all of that he is it oh, he's, he's just got it all going on yeah. he's well up there so i have a story not related of course you do about the about the kid you killed no nothing to do with me doing anything bad but but it's interesting i have a memory and it, and i know this happened it's not a false memory when i was about i reckon you know we're recording don't you yeah, I do, and I think okay. it's pertinent to this. Okay. 85 or 86, I was in year f- grade 5 or grade 6, 
And I remember being with a, a schoolmate and we went to the zoo. And it was one of the few times that we went without the like we'd been to the I think it must have been grade six because we'd been to the zoo, it was really great. And I asked mum if I could go to the zoo with this schoolmate of mine, and we did. And when we were there, you know, you were talking earlier about him giving people sweets and things. Yeah. This guy, there was a man there and he bought us both an ice cream. This is not a, like a major confession because I didn't do anything wrong, but, well, apart from I being mean, a bit naive. But- I mean, it was only a BJ, right? And an ice cream an ice cream. <laughs> Bloody hell, Paul. Well, you, you, you know, you, you make that joke, but this man... <laughs> <laughs> Not that I went on to perform any sexual acts with this old, oh, older man. God, it would have been a, I'm thinking probably, I, I mean, I can't really remember, but I, he would have been maybe 50s maybe. And he, I remember him he was talking probably to us. 30. He was a, uh, he was a pedophile groomer. He was no, no. He was he was a grooming pedophile. In in mm. hindsight, as an adult, I look back at it and I go, mm. he talked about how he worked with delinquent mm. kids and kids who were you know vulnerable. And he mm. said, and I remember him saying quite clearly clearly to myself and to my schoolmate, oh, you know, I work with these girls, and you know, he said something along the lines of, you know, and if they, you know, I try to help them and I listen to them, and if you know, it, they're all confused, and if they want to have sex, you know, I'll have sex with them. <gasps> and then he no. gave me, he gave me a business card to call him. Oh. Are you serious? How old were you then? This is 1986, 1987, so wow. not, not far. So when I, I've been thinking about this the whole way through this story, thinking do I yeah, talk yeah. about this anecdote? God, now, if I obviously, called I, him. Well, of course I wouldn't have called him, right? And But I didn't know he was – I just knew I got a total creepy vibe. But as yeah. you're talking about this stuff, I'm thinking he could have been a murderer. Like, you know, he could oh, have been – I but mean, you I'm, could have got I'm, some vodka and relaxing times. I'm quite confident that he probably was a pedophile and yeah, yeah, a rapist. Yeah. But as we talk about this, I think, oh, my God, he could have actually been a murderer. Yeah, well, well where, where else would you go? It's a great pay, place to pick up kids, isn't it, in the 80s? Well, not anyway. to steal them. Um, I must but say, but though. He wasn't trying to steal us. He, he gave me his card, which I oh, thought, yeah, yeah, in hindsight, risky, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, if I'd given What's that, that to mum. Hey, I just met you and this is crazy. Crazy. But my but number. Number. So call me, baby. maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny that, now because I didn't yeah, call him and there was no major course. issue. But I've thought about also that. Also not funny. I mean, yeah, no, funny in the terrible. context of this podcast and this story. But <gasps> but, but it's not really funny. And, and, but, and so, you know, we talk about. This situation, back to your point, Carla, where is everyone and all the rest of it? But yeah. And I talked earlier about the innocence of this period of time. You know, we went home. I never said a word to mum about it. You know, I just I, I had his no, card I and I thought that is that was a bit weird, but we got a free ice cream. And so you know, they say no such thing as a free lunch. Yeah, <laughs> or ice cream. Or um, ice cream, yeah. As you learnt. So you reckon, was that Melbourne Zoo? Yeah. Yeah, so I have a story from around the same time. Um, <laughs> right, but let's get to yours. Which was about a um, a girl who she not would Melbourne have been Zoo. no more, yeah Melbourne Zoo no more than sixteen. I and was it's twelve. Not, it's it's not serious. No, but what I'm saying is, uh, mm-hmm. so it was about eighty six, eighty seven, mm-hmm. and she went to the toilet, mm-hmm. 
and, and it's, so it's not serious like yours. She came back laughing and we're going, what's funny? And she goes, oh, my God, I went to the toilet and on the back of the wall was written, here I lay all cover, covered in red, I'll kill the mole that stole my med. <laughs> stole my med? Yeah. A tampon. Yeah, oh. a pad. Because yeah. <laughs> I love that you've remembered that. That wasn't the only place that was written. It was written everywhere. <laughs> was it? Yeah. Yes. Oh, well, that's the only time in history I've ever heard no. that. No, was I that written that everywhere? Yeah. I'd forgotten. It. So it's like I went around in 86 oh, and 87 yeah. and I wrote that everywhere I could go. No, I, I do remember that. I think that's like a one-off and you've gone, it's just nah, everywhere. Dirty uh. moles are writing that everywhere. Anyway, I guess, the point of my, I guess the point of my anecdote was you were talking earlier about, you know, how he lures people and all the rest of it. And I thought, you know. Yeah, no, no, correct. And also your good judgment. Sliding doors. One of the things about this is that, you know, this is in a time when there's a lot of poverty and a lot of, um, yep. you know, yeah, adults different. who are struggling and therefore children are struggling and children probably don't have a lot of people to connect cool with or talk or to because with, yeah. their parents are struggling so much. Um, so old mate turns Mind up Mind you, in the 80s we went broke, right? So there was a fair amount of struggling going on in the Schmidt household. So I'm not saying it was nothing like the USSR. I'm sure it was really bad, but there are the point. Point is, there are there are people out there. Be careful, kids. That's all I'm saying. Correct, exactly. Has that. it dawned on either of you yet that for all of the atrocious murders that he's committed, which were so violent, why was he never spotted with blood on him? Yeah, like, you, you would be covered in it. I don't. It's a get really it. interesting point, and there was talk of that. Of that, so he used to wear a long coat, and the, yeah. what they what they suggested was that he took his coat off before oh. any of the blood and then the, happened, the coat would cover and then he put and then the covered himself up. Yeah. coat back on again. Yeah, yeah. Because so, he's got a black coat and it's got blood on it, you can't really see. But he's doing it in the summer months. Yeah, no, no. I think I think it was but literally that he had that. But he's not witnessed much either. So there's the KGB picture. There's a few people who see him taking people away. There aren't many people who talk. Yeah, he's very good at it. There's not many people who speak about him after, except for that last one, the policeman that you talk about. But also I think, you know, he's talking about getting them at police, uh, sorry, train stations and they're being murdered elsewhere. He's not necessarily returning to the train station. No, and it took them a while to realise about the train station and then, you know, there was a little bit of investigation, nothing happened. So they've kind of gone to the train station, nah, not that, gone back again, gone back again and and really gone, all right, it has to be this. So on the the 20th of November... No one was looking. Anyway, sorry. I also think that probably speaks to maybe... The Soviet in the, at that time, you know how you viewed other people, whether you wanted to stay out of trouble, keeping yourself to yourself. I don't know. Mm. Well, the, the the movie certainly said that there was a disconnect between what the police and the investigators, sorry, what the investigators thought, not the police, what the yeah. you know the detectives and the agents and whatever, yeah. and what the government who oh, actually right. employed oh, them, yeah. We're telling them. So, you know, they're going, we need to do all this, and they're going, not a fucking help. But I just cannot believe by not telling the public what they were up against. And it was was always the same. And I'm probably jumping away here. I I can't believe But is it any different now? Like, I, I mean, I don't know a lot about communist politics, but I do have a sense that... 
Or is there it's any difference there very now versus much, here? What I'm saying, no, what I'm saying is, yeah, correct, there, okay, now. Yeah, okay. You know, I think, here, I say, I think communist <laughs> politics is all about the state running of things and, of you know, course, silencing the totally. noise. Yep. So That's what I'm saying. I can only imagine that these things helped him. Correct. Because well, that's exactly what happened, yes. 100%. So on the 20th of November, after six days of surveillance, Chikatilo was arrested by four plainclothes police officers. Upon his arrest, Chikatilo gave a statement claiming that the police were mistaken and ironically complained that he had also been arrested in 1984 for the same series of murders. What's that? Oh, He's not a again. I'm, oh. I'm such a victim. There's been like... 55,000 between then and now. That's not also, the same series of murders. you thought I was guilty then and now you think I'm guilty now. It's because you were guilty then and you are guilty now. Like, Could you just call my wife? She'll tell you I was home yeah, all the time. Correct. Yeah. A strip search of the suspect revealed a further piece of evidence. And I don't know why it needed to be a strip search, maybe because it was cold. Dun, dun, dun. In fact, it was November, so it would have been cold. One of Chikatilo's fingers had a deep flesh wound. And Uh, he had self-treated with iodine. Medical examiners concluded the wound was from a human bite. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Chikatilo's uh, second last victim, Viktor Tishchenko, was a physically strong youth. At the crime scene, the police had found numerous signs of a physical struggle between the victim and his murderer. Chikatilo's finger bone was later found to be broken and his fingernail had been bitten off. However, Chikatilo had never sought medical treatment for this injury. A search of Chikatilo's belongings revealed he had in possession a folding knife and two lengths of rope. A sample of his blood was taken. As the police case was largely circumstantial at this point, they wanted to find more information so they could connect him, you know, to areas and and whatnot, but there was nothing concrete. Mm. So under Soviet law, they had 10 days in which they could legally hold Chikatilo before either charging or releasing him. They developed a plan to place him in a cell in KGB headquarters in Rostov with a police informer who was to try to elicit as much information as he could and ideally a confession. The plan was to convince Chikatilo who was in need of medical help due to his mental state and that if he confessed, he would not be prosecuted by reason of insanity. Throughout the questioning, Chikatilo repeatedly denied that he had committed the murders, although he did confess to molesting several of his pupils. He also produced several written essays for Kostyev. These did not provide details of the murders. However, they did reveal psychological symptoms consistent with those predicted by Dr. Bukhanovsky in the 1985 psychological profile he'd written. On the 21st of November, the results of Chikatilo's blood test again revealed his blood type to be type A and not type AB. Police were so confused. There was so much physical and circumstantial evidence which indicated Chikatilo was the murderer, but they just couldn't get over this sort of connection or or disconnect between the the two types. Investigators decided they needed to test a sample of his semen to see if that produced a different result. I mean, imagine being the person who had the job of collecting semen. Well, you can't get it out unless you get to stab someone several times. How'd that? 70-something times. Like, how do you even extract it? Well, maybe a needle into his bulb sack. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to think. That'd be the epididymis. How does that work? Oh, the results. Bulb sack. 
Whatever it is that Carol Oh, don't. So the results of his uh, semen test revealed that he was type AB. Aha, Where, not whereas type his a. blood and saliva were type A. Hey, how does that wow. work? How is this hey, possible? I hear you ask. ask. That do is you what remember, I just asked. Do you remember episode forty-four, which was oh, uh, yeah. titled "Non-Secreta Madness"? Secreta, non-secreta. Yeah, yeah. So okay. he was that was a me, non- wasn't it? Yeah. So he was a non-secreta, which meant uh-huh. that his blood type is different to that of other bodily fluids. Right there you go. Oh, I didn't know that was part of it. Boom. Yeah, yeah. So um, I actually. Uh, Swanee, I googled that several times in different ways because I was yeah. like, "Is that what we discussed?" Non secreta yeah, being. I, I don't. I don't recall that at all. To be fair, I didn't understand it at the time, but you know, hey, you're a non secreta all the time, haven't you? Is that I'm what you're saying? I'm, yeah. I'm not a jizzard wizard, so of course I'm a non secreta. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I've literally got nothing for that. That is. Uh, Oh, goodness, goodness me. Anywho. I, I always thought you were Jizzy Lizzie, but despite all of that, uh, the police were looking for a confession. So on the 29th of November, with time running out, Dr. Bukanovsky was invited to question the suspect. Bukanovsky read extracts from his 65-page psychological profile to Chikatilo. The profile had many similarities, and with two hours, Chikatilo burst into tears and confessed to Bukanovsky. In the movie or, or one of the documentaries we watched, he spoke a lot about the upbringing and the humiliation and the challenges he had and then the need for release and all those sorts of things that probably spoke to Chikatilo in the way that he then understood um, related to. Do you think it went like this? Chikatilo, tell me the truth. (laughs) I'm a shoulder (laughs) you can cry cry on. best best friend. I'm the one you must rely on. I am now going to have to Google. You are always sure of yourself. yourself. Now I see if you've broken a finger. (laughs) (laughs) Broken a finger. I hope we can patch it up together. I'm so, after this, I'm going to Google uh, what the motivation for Chikatito was because it could very well be this. (laughs) Sorry, go on. So bear in mind, they've got 10 days, right? So they arrest him on the 20th of November. They've got 10 days. On the 29th of November, he breaks down in tears. So they've got one more day to either arrest or arrest. Arrest him or let him go, yeah. So... Kostyev prepared a formal accusation of murder dated the 29th of November, the eve of the expiration of the 10-day time period which Chikatilo could legally be held before being charged. The following morning, Kostyev resumed the interrogation armed with Bukhanovsky's handwritten notes. Chikatilo confessed to 36 of the 38 murders police had linked him to. Mm-hmm. Although he denied two additional murders committed in 1986, one of these victims was Lyubov Golovaka, uh, found stabbed to death on the 23rd of July 1986 and wh- whom many investigators had serious doubts about linking to the manhunt. Mm-hmm. The second was Irina Pogorilova, 
found yeah. murdered at Batysk on the 18th of August 1986, whose mutilations closely matched the other victims. Why did they not think Marina was one of his victims? Oh, it's hard to it's hard to say because I think there was just a lot of confusion and without specifics. So yeah, so, so some of them were uh, excluded because of the eyes, and we'll talk about the eyes soon because that just wasn't consistent with. Uh, a lot of the earlier murders. So Chikatilo gave a full detailed description of each murder on the list of charges. Oh, God, could you imagine listening to that? Oh. So, Swanee, to your point, did he have a book or anything? Yeah. All of his descriptions <laughs> were consistent with known facts. When asked, ah. he was able to draw rough sketches of the crime scenes, including the position oh. of the victim's body and various landmarks in the vicinity of the crime yeah. scene. Oh, yeah. Additional details provided further proof of his guilt. For example, Chikatilo claimed one victim named Anna Lemesheva, who was killed on the 19th of July 1984, had stated that a man named Bars, which means leopard, uh, would retaliate for his attacking her. Lemesheva's fiance had the nickname Bars tattooed on his hand. Uh. In describing his victims, Chikatilo falsely referred to them as lower class. He discussed details of his MO. He would bind the victim's hands behind their back with a length of rope. He would typically inflict a multitude of knife wounds upon the victim, initially inflicting uh, shallow knife wounds to the chest area before inflicting deeper stab and slash wounds, usually 30 to 50 in total, before God. proceeding to eviscerate the victim as he writhed atop his or her body until he achieved orgasm. So just to be clear, he was eviscerating them while they were alive? Yeah. Yes. So this is the, when we were talking about the orgasm piece, it was until he, re, uh, he achieved orgasm, he then he would kill them. Oh, so nice. the right. the suffering was all about the orgasm. Oh, then God. it was well murder. Oh God! And of course, the longer it went on, the longer it took him to achieve orgasm. So as these later victims, I can only imagine they suffered more than the earlier ones. Chikatilo had, he stated, become adept at avoiding the spurts of blood from his victims' bodies as he inflicted the knife wounds and eviscerations upon them. Once the murder was done, he would regularly sit or squat beside his victims until their hearts had stopped beating. Oh, stating, no hurry to get out of there. Uh, stating their cries, the blood and the agony gave me relaxation and a certain pleasure. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's more than just oh. orgasming. It's it's he's enjoying it all now. It's, it's like the cigarette you have after sex, right? He's just sitting there listening. Like it's gross. There's no. It's so messed up. And so, so my joke around the, the cigarette, right? I think you know sometimes couples will have sex and then they'll lie in each other's arms, or they might, you know, yeah. ha have a cigarette. He's Roll sitting over, there, ask him to listening pull to the down. agony and suffering. <laughs> What's that? Ask him to what? Pull your nighty back down. Oh, goodness. Pull your nighty down when you're done, Dan. Oh, I've got a cramp. Can, can you fold sorry. my legs back down? Because I shouldn't be in this position. Like, yeah, do, oh, do you fancy no. a root? No, thanks. Do you mind lying there while I have one? Like, that's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> did the same, yeah. Uh, you're terrible, same, Muriel. Yeah. Anyway, I think anywho, you're talking about that. That's I what did. I said. So, um, as we spoke about earlier, you may be wondering why so many of his earlier victims' eyes had been stabbed, slashed or removed. Mm. Yes, yes. Well, Chikatilo we stated, no, no, that he had initially believed in an old Russian superstition 
that the image of a murderer is left imprinted upon the eyes of the victim. Uh-huh. So the police would be able to see that it's him because the his, his face would be reflected in their eyes. He added that in later years he'd become convinced this was simply an old wives' tale and he had ceased to gouge out the eyes of his victims. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, uh, no one's doing that. that it's so time-consuming and I've just got to get oh, out of here, God. right? I know. I don't have that. I, that's adding nothing to my experience, so a, I'm just going to... I'll park that over there. I'll take that out of my repertoire. But so, but so remember, <laughs> for all the jokes, remember that some victims were discounted because their eyes weren't Re- mutilated. Yeah, were intact. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're still in their sockets anyway. Yeah. So Chikatilo also said he had often tasted the blood of his victims, to which he stated, he felt chills and shook all over. He was losing control. It's sorry, it sounded power. like he felt chills and then a Russian name, Shukalova. <laughs> Just checking. Oh, Schmitty, you he are felt terrible. chills and shook, and shook all, all over. All over. He right. felt chills. He felt chills. And Shukalova. We're all going to help. We totally are Absolutely. in a handbasket. He confessed to some seriously bad acts. So tearing at victims' genitalia, lips, nipples and tongues with his teeth. <gasps> Cutting or biting off the tongue of his victim as he performed his eviscerations. Then running around the body as he held the tongue aloft in one hand. He admitted that he had chewed upon the excised uterus of his female victims and testicles of his male victims. Only chewed... He didn't swallow. Didn't eat them. But he did confess to having swallowed the nipples and tongues of some of his victims. I'm a serial killer in Russia. Get me out of oh. here. I mean, come I'm on. I'm a citizen in Russia. Get me out of here. Like, far out. On the 30th of November, Chikatilo was formally charged with each of the 36 murders he confessed to, all of which had been committed between June 1982 and November 1990, so eight years that's the 36 murders he confessed to, right? So 36 murders in eight years. <clears throat> Over the following days, Chikatilo confessed to a, a further 20 killings which had not been connected to the case, either because the murders had been committed outside the Rostov Oblast, because the bodies had not been found, or in the case of Yelena Zakotnova, because an innocent man had been convicted and executed oh, for the murder. Oh, first one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, he was able to provide details of these additional killings only the perpetrator could have known. In December 1990, Chikatilo led police to the body of Alexei Kobotov, a boy he had confessed to killing in August 1989 and whom he had buried on the outskirts of a Shakti cemetery, mm. proving unequivocally that he was the killer. He later led investigators to the bodies of two other victims he had confessed to killing. In total, he confessed to 56 victims. Three of these could not be found or identified, and so he was only charged with killing 53 women and children between 1978 and 1990. So 53 in 12 years. Like it's... Jesus. That's four and a half a year kind of thing. Like it's off its head. No, but as we covered... Some of them were in one year, like, you know, tons. And yeah, yeah, tons of 14 in not like, yeah, yeah. Jesus. So police needed to determine if he was mentally competent to stand trial, obviously because that was something that was going to come up if they didn't. 
So after their interrogation was complete, Chikatilo was transferred to Serbsky Institute in Moscow to undergo a 60-day psychiatric evaluation. Chikatilo was found to have various psychological problems linked to prenatal brain damage. So there was actually, I can't remember if it was water on the brain or something, but something that he had that was prenatal that they said possibly connected his behaviour as a result of the things he'd experienced. To what had happened. He was found to have a steady but gradual descent into perversion, which had been compounded by biological and environmental factors. It was concluded that although he suffered from a borderline personality disorder with sadistic features, I mean, sadistic features, it sounds like it's, you know, I've bought the I latest. In it. Yeah. Well, I've bought the latest Tesla and it's got sadistic features. <laughs> <laughs> but they did determine he was fit to stand trial. In December 1991, details of Chikatilo's arrest and a brief summary of his crimes were released to the newly privatised Russian media by police. I wonder how brief it was. So let's talk then about his trial. How do we feel about that? This is his trial not by wine, Schmitty. You can save his trial by wine for a little bit later. Chikatilo was brought to trial in Rostov on the 14th of April 1992, charged with 53 counts of murder in addition to five charges of sexual assault against minors committed when he had been a teacher. He was tried in the Rostov Provincial Court before Judge Leonard Akubzanov. (laughs) You're nearly there. Don't you think that the difference between like a crime where you're in a situation where somebody's, you know, murdered people through an act of terrorism, let's say, where they've, a bomb has exploded and, you know, they've wiped out 200 people or they've brought a plane down or whatever else. There's a moment that it usually happens within which is pretty swift. And this is the total opposite where it is mm. each individual so long, yeah. has had a prolonged period of suffering. Yeah, each, yeah. each single person has a total, like, murder story. And that's like, what is it, 50... Three? 53, 53. That yeah. he's admitted to. No, he admitted to 56. That's right, and they only find charged for 53 because I can't prove the other three. But, like, every time I get it, you're right, every time I get on a plane, I think if this is my moment, let it be quick. Yeah, it probably will be. See, I think one of my worst things is when you're on a plane and, like, I literally have moments where, you know, I go to the toilet and I think, oh, God, if some idiot opened that door, I'd get sucked out and I'd be in pitch black, in freezing cold, and I'd fall to my death. And I, that oh, I've never think that, but I really wish I'd never heard you say that. I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, Chikatilo's trial was the first major media event of post-Soviet Russia. I mean, can you imagine that shit show? Investigators so this is post-Gorbachev or around Gorbachev? Uh, pre, pre-Gorbachev. Pre-Gorbachev. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep, I think so. It's okay. 1984. Oh, no, sorry, 1990. All oh, would be close to Gorbachev. Mm, Gorbachev. Okay. Gorbachev. <laughs> Bit of a problem on his head. 1991. Look at Mark on his head. Let me on the back. Show the onions. Oh, so it's, is it Yeltsin? This is Yeltsin's Yeltsin. Yeltsin, I reckon it'd be. Oh, was Yeltsin pre Gorbachev? That's Gorbachev uh, then Yeltsin, wasn't yes. it? Yes. I think it's the other way. What? Yeah. Is it? I thought it was Gorbachev. Oh, no, it's in the crown. Gorbachev. Gorbachev um, first. I didn't watch the crown, but I thought Gorbachev was first and then Yeltsin. Hang on, yeah, here I reckon we go. it was Gorbachev and then Yeltsin. Then Yeltsin. Right. I think yeah, Boris yeah. Quite right, yeah. Boris so Gorbachev would have been in power at the time. In 1991, they tried to overturn him. Yeah. So investigators had conducted a press conference outlining a full list of Chikatilo's crimes alongside a 1984 identikit of the individual charged. 
but not the full name or a photograph of the accused. Their first sight of Chikatilo was on the day, sorry, on the first day of his trial, where he was contained in an iron cage specifically con- constructed to protect him from attack by the enraged and hysterical relatives of his victims. There was talk of the fact that the courtroom was packed by, you know, 250 people every day and people getting turned away because they wanted to be there to generally because they were connected to his crimes in some way, not because they were just general public and wanting to make sure that he got what he deserved. In the opening weeks of Chikatilo's trial, the Russian press regularly published exaggerated and often sensationalistic headlines about Wouldn't the Wouldn't have needed to. They would not have needed to. Correct. No, but they referred to him as Brutal being a cannibal. Brutal and horrific killer. Yeah. Well, he, he didn't yeah, eat yeah, him yeah. for sustenance, but he chewed on him. That's yeah, enough, no, yeah. yeah, but he liked to try new things, right? He wasn't a cannibal. <laughs> but they did refer to him as being a cannibal or a maniac and to his physically resembling a shaven, skulled, demonic individual. And oh, and the, oh. pe- the piece I take from this is this is the first major media event in post-Soviet Russia around a serial killer and it's incredible how quickly they learn to influence public opinion. You know, we, we've spoken about this with a number of Western crimes, yeah. but this is the first chance they've had to report um, with credibility and they've gone straight to what happens in the West yeah. anyway. But to Carla's point, they didn't need to. This was like no. the first one and it was horrific. Just, just yeah, report yeah, the yeah. facts and you'll get Stabs the same in the eyes, cuts yeah. off the lip, tongues. Uterus, ball sack, all of it. Oh, and chewing on testicles. Breasts, all of it, you know, like a, nipples. I haven't had a nipple for a while. Nom, nom, nom. The only thing um, he didn't do, it appears to be, was re- like remove an anus. But everything else was fair game. <laughs> Schmitty, he wasn't to what end? Just a, to what like end? The, you sound like the, the Russian end. police in the early 80s now thinking he's a homosexual I think, think it would take, take a fair bit of work, wouldn't it? Even as a butcher, wouldn't you have to flip it over? And It took a bit of work to take a uterus out, I'm sure. True, you're right. Well, once you stab someone 70 times, I feel like it probably almost Fall jumps out. out itself. That's <laughs> not how <laughs> uteruses work, but well, okay. Right. The first two days of the trial were divided to... Akub Zanov's reading the long lists of indictments against Chikatilo. So literally two days he spent reading the indictments. Each murder was discussed individually and on several occasions relatives present in the courtroom broke down in tears or fainted when details of the relative's murder were revealed. Imagine how hard it would be sitting through two days of that. Yeah, awful. After reading the indictment, Akub Zanov announced to the journalist pres- present in the courtroom his intention to conduct an open trial, stating, let this trial at least teach us something so that this will never happen again anytime or anywhere. Akub Zanov then asked Chikatilo to stand and identify himself. Chikatilo complied, although this would prove to be one of the few civil exchanges between the judge and Chikatilo. Chikatilo did not himself no favours during the trial, responding to specific questions with dismissive replies, particularly as to the wounds he had inflicted and the ruses he had used. Could you imagine being the families and finding out what had happened? And he's in the cage to protect him. Yeah. To what end? Just on one occasion when asked as to his seeming indifference as to the lifestyle and gender of those 
whom he had killed. Chikatilo replied, I did not need to look for them. Every step I took, they were there, which is basically saying there were plenty of people. I could just, you know. I'll be honest, he wasn't wrong. Was smorgasbord because no, they didn't. They were they were innocent people, not thinking that someone was there, weren't aware that there was a a madman amongst them to try and. It's kill true. Them. It's true. He wasn't wrong, but it says a lot about society when back in in that space in yeah. that time when he could just go and choose what he wanted, and that was you know it kind of feels like that. But yeah, it's true both of him. And it speaks volumes as to sort of the arrogance that he had because it was so easy for him to do it and he, you know, believed he could just keep doing it. And as you say, the, the public as such, who were totally unaware that that was happening and even if they'd been made aware, as you say, it was still a different time. He's just like this massive shark and there's all these seals everywhere in his mind and it's just like there's nothing stopping him from just predating on everything. But- but I think in the SEALs' minds, there's the government and the police who will do that. You know, like I think we get in the 80s for us, it was unlikely someone was going to kill this many people in this short period of time because you'd like to think that the police would eventually catch up with them. Chikatilo's responses to questions deviated into his discussing issues such as the repression his family had endured throughout his childhood and claiming that the charges filed against him were false. In what became a regular occurrence throughout the trial, Akubzanov berated Chikatilo, ordering him to shut your mouth before adding, you're not crazy. Shut your mouth. 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 You shut your mouth. I would like to think that it went like that. So he had, actually had to say to him, you're not crazy, because presumably Chikatilo was saying, you know, I'm crazy and this is not fair and you shouldn't be treating me like this. So these verbal exchanges would occur whether Chikatilo was cooperative or uncooperative throughout proceedings. And the manner in which the judge questioned Chikatilo repeatedly led to his defence lawyer, Marat Kabibulan. Marat protested the nature of the court proceedings. Chikatilo would shout over the judge, denounce the court as a farce and launch into rambling, disjointed speeches. On occasion, Chikatilo would also expose himself to the court or sing socialist movement anthems throughout proceedings. These antics regularly resulted in his being returned to his cell as the court proceedings continued in his absence. So it's a bit of a farce. On the 21st of April, Chikatilo's defence lawyer requested that Bukhanovsky be allowed to testify as he could exert influence over Chikatilo and, by extension, might influence the court proceedings. This request was denied. The same day, Chikatilo began to refuse to answer any questions from the judge, the prosecutor or his own defence lawyer. He refused to answer any questions for three days before stating his presumption of innocence had been irredeemably violated by the judge and that he intended to give no further testimony. Because he wasn't innocent, but okay, fine. The following day, proceedings were adjourned for two weeks. Mm. I mean, imagine that being one of the victim's family members think what and he's going wah wah you're irredeemably violating you think i've done it and i haven't although i said i did before i mean i did i did say i did but now you're treating me badly i'm gonna say i didn't and you presume that i'm guilty even though i said even though i said i was guilty (laughs) is it a presumption (laughs) or is it an assumption (laughs) when you've said and does it even matter because you said you did it although to be fair there are plenty of people who said they did it earlier 
who didn't do it. Chikatilo withdrew his confessions to six of the third, sorry, six of the killings on the thirteenth of May, and also claimed he had killed four further victims. The same day, his defence lawyer again submitted a request that his client be subjected to a second psychiatric evaluation. This motion was dismissed by the judge as being groundless. In response, the defence rose from his seat, condemning the court and arguing that the judge was unfit to continue presiding over the case. Of course, Ducatillo repeated his earlier remarks as to the judge prejudging his guilt. However, even the prosecutor, Nikolai Gerasimenko, why do I do this to myself? Nailed it, yeah. Vocally supported the (laughs) defence's claim. He further contended that in his conducting an open trial. The judge had prejudiced it. Yeah, he had uh, already, uh, Chikatilo had already been effectively prejudged as being yep. guilty by the press before also requesting that the judge be replaced. Now, I, I can understand that if, In isolation. if he hasn't um, confessed. Yeah, exactly. I hate this shit. I, I, I judged you as guilty because you said you were guilty, so can we just move on? But also yeah. not okay. just not just that, right, because remember other people said that, but he knew specific details mm-hmm. about crimes. He took them to crime scenes. Pretty you know, comfy, wumpy that you're a psycho killer. Sure, yeah. Psycho killer. On the 3rd of July, Bukhanovsky was permitted to testify. For three hours, he gave his testimony and four psychiatric experts from the Serbsky Institute also testified. All testified as to his behaviour in the courtroom being strikingly at contrast to his behaviour in his cell and that they considered his antics to be a calculated attempt to obtain acquittal on the grounds of insanity. So on the 9th of August, the defence delivered their closing arguments before the judge. Kaby Bullen questioned the reliability of the forensic evidence Who? presented. Kerry <laughs> Bullen. Kerry Bullen. Kerry Bullen. Kerry Bullen. Kerry Bullen sounds like one of your dad's mates from down at the pub. Kerry <laughs> Bullen. He runs a transporting company. Kerry Bullen. Yeah. Kerry Bullen like Associates. A, yeah, real estate agent. That's what I heard. Kerry Bullen. I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna try to mumble it in another way <laughs> so that Maybe I sound a Russian more way? credible. Kabi Bullen. Does that sound more Indian than Indian. Indian. Yeah. Um, I'll take it. I'll take it. Smitty, how would you say it? I have no idea how you'd say that. Question the reliability of the forensic evidence presented at the trial and describing areas of Chikatilo's confessions as being baseless. He also questioned the judge's objectivity and harked back to the decision of the court not to allow the defence to present testimony from independent psychiatrists because they wanted to, despite the uh, the original psychiatric 65-page thing and then his 60-day thing, they wanted to introduce other people. Emphasising that the crimes of this nature could not have been committed by an individual of sane mind. Well, duh. Kerry Bullen then formally requested <laughs> the judge find his client not guilty. Nikolai Kerry Bullen, if you I don't mind. I think he mind. had a beer in his hand when he did it too. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you what, mate. Kerry, we've, Kerry, we've been talking yeah. about this for a long time. <laughs> Enough. And he's been talking a whole lot of Bullen shit. I'll tell you, old mate, this is what we're going to do. And it's time we put an end to it. 
The following day, Prosecutor Anatoly Zadorozny delivered his closing argument. He spoke of the earlier testimony of psychiatrists at the trial and argued that Chikatilo fully understood the criminality of his actions, mm-hmm. was able to resist his homicidal impulses and had made numerous conscious efforts to avoid detection. Moreover, Zadaronovsky... Who, who, in, who in this Russian tale is Mr or Mrs Moreover? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, that was a tennis player. <laughs> moreover. Moreover. M- moreover. Zadorozny, Zadorozny emphasised mm-hmm. that in 19 of the charges, the material evidence of the crimes had been provided by Chikatilo himself. Zadorozny mm. then recited each of the charges before formally requesting the death penalty. Chikatilo was given the opportunity to make a final statement on his own behalf. In response, Chikatilo simply sat mute. As court announced recess, the brother of Lyudmila Alexeyeva, a 17-year-old girl killed by Chikatilo, we spoke about her earlier, mm-hmm. threw a heavy chunk of metal at Chikatilo, hitting him in the chest. So remember he's in that mm. guard yep. cage yep. thing and, and someone still got to him. Brilliant. When security tried to arrest the young man, other victims' relatives shielded him and he managed to get to. away. Yeah, like, like well played. Yeah. Well played. Well, you know, we're all, we are all about, you know, retribution. Inappropriate, <laughs> inappropriate <laughs> response. That's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would have said if you had thrown it at him and killed him, I'd be okay with that too. On the 15th of October, Aksubanov formally sentenced Chikatilo to death plus 86 years for the 52 murders and five counts of sexual assault. Chikatilo kicked his bench across his cage when he heard the verdict and began <laughs> shouting abuse. He said like, like a bird, like a budgie. <sighs> his water bowl across his cage. His bell, his bell and his yeah, mirror. His bell. You're a bunch of shit kickers. <laughs> However, when given an opportunity to make a speech in response to the verdict. Why he, was he given any response? Was it not? He again that? remained silent. Why was he given a chance to say anything? That's wrong. Oh, you know, like um, such is life. Sorry. Whoops. Okay. So upon passing final sentence, Judge Akubzanov made the following remark. Taking into consideration the horrible misdeeds of which he is guilty, this court has no alternative but to impose the only sentence that he deserves. I therefore sentence him to death. Chikatilo was taken to, from the courtroom to his cell at Novicherkask prison to await <laughs> execution. <laughs> My pronunciation of that's gotten worse. Great job, great job, great job. Nailed yeah. it. Bang mm-hmm. on. He did lodge an appeal against his conviction with the Supreme Court of Russia, but this appeal was rejected in the summer of 1993. Following the rejection of his appeal to the Supreme Court, Chikatilo filed a final appeal for clemency with Perra- uh, with President Boris Yeltsin, Schmitty. That'll be a no, yeah. Yep, this yep. final appeal was rejected on the 4th of January 1994. Good. On the 14th of February 1994, Chikatilo was taken from his death row cell to a soundproofed room. I'm going to say it again. I'm going oh, to wow. murder it again. In the prison. In Novichokask prison. Novichokask, yeah. prison and executed with a single gunshot behind the right ear. 
he was buried in an unmarked grave within the prison cemetery. That's quite extraordinary. I must say, I like the way they do that. The idea of shooting someone behind, like just shooting them in the back of the head. Whenever I think of a firing squad, I think of, you know, several people shooting forward. Yeah, yeah. I, I never think of someone just coming up and popping you one in the back. No, like, so they were very they were very clear in the, I guess, in the wording. They didn't state it specifically, but old mate was killed by a firing squad. He was killed by a single shot yes, behind his right ear. I actually quite like that way of killing people. If you're going to do it, it's you clean. have to see all the ones where that goes wrong. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to get that bit wrong, I reckon. And I, well, it's pretty hard if you do, like shoot through someone's brain, but because even gas chambers and injections, some of those go and electric chairs go Horribly terribly wrong, wrong terribly yeah. wrong. Yeah. yeah, yeah, correct. To to the point where it's just cruel. In trial by wine world, we'd be fine with it with some of these people, but you know, not in the real world. So yeah, yeah. All right, so, so I'm going to now tell you just a, a little bit of closing stuff about murders that were included and excluded, and mm-hmm. I want you to think of this in the context of a math problem at high school where, you know, if I'm on a train that's going at 150 kilometres an hour and I eat three bread rolls and seven people get off and 28 people get on, what's the yeah. temperature kind of thing mm-hmm. because I kind of struggle to do the math, and, and math Carla, Carla's you know, we know that I'm actually okay with it, but I found it quite confusing. So anyway, um, just strap yourself in, Dahl. <laughs> so Judge Leonard Akubzanov, clear Chikatilo of the murder of 15-year-old Laura Sarkisian at his trial due to insufficient evidence. Sarkisian, a runaway from Armenia, was last seen by her family on the 18th of June. In his confessions to police, Chikatilo had stated he had killed an Armenian girl in the early summer of 1983 and that she had been killed in a stretch of woodland located near Kerpichnaya Station. Although Chikatilo had been unable to identify Sarkisian's picture when presented to him, the timing of Sarkisian's disappearance and Chikatilo's physical description of the victim, her clothing and where he had killed her did match scattered partial skeletal remains and personal effects, which although determined as being those of a female in her early to mid-teens could not be precisely identified. Although he had at one stage denied having committed six of the murders for which he had been brought to trial, Chikatilo never specifically disputed Sarkisian as being a victim of his. So then there's suspected victims. So Chikatilo confessed to three additional murders which police were unable to to verify. According to Chikatilo, these three murders were committed in and around the city of Shakti between 1980 and 1982. Despite Mm -hmm. his confessions, police were unable to either match his descriptions of these victims to any missing persons reports or locate any human remains despite thoroughly searching the locations where Chikatilo stated he had committed these murders. Therefore, he was never charged with these three further killings he claimed to have committed. He did them. Chikatilo is the prime suspect in the murder of 18-year-old Irina Pogolova. Pogolova, I feel feel like I just murdered her surname. (laughs) Pogolova. Anywho. A court secretary from Batayst. Yeah. who had disappeared on 11th of August 1986 and whose body was found buried in the grounds of a collective farm on the 18th of August. Instead of using her surname, I'm going to say her body Irina. bore precisely the same <laughs> mutilations found upon victims. Chikatilo killed 
both before and after 1986. In his initial confession, Chikatilo had denied he had killed her, yet later insisted this trial that he had indeed killed her. And this is part of it, right? He's kind of in, out, yes, I did, no, I didn't, uh, I'll oh, me- mess it all up. He did it, he did it <laughs> You know, all. like which ball's the cup under kind of thing. So at his trial, Chikatilo claimed he had committed four further murders in addition to the 53 for which he was brought to trial. So that presumably three of these victims were the three he'd initially confessed to having committed in, the ni- in 1990 and which police were unable to either locate or match to any missing persons records. The fourth individual he specifically named as Irina. Irina, and then he went on to say he killed her. Correct. So if his claims of having killed four additional victims are true, the total number of victims Chikatilo claimed is 57. Yeah. So you've got he claimed he claimed fifty six, possibly fifty seven. He was charged with fifty three, convicted yeah. of fifty two. Like, like there's it, it's this is the math problem I was trying to talk about, right? Like Swanee can't cope with it. <laughs> I think I think he killed fifty seven people. He's claimed fifty seven victims. I'm quite happy. I get the legal process can't prove that he killed more than fifty three. I'm happy for him to say I killed all these people. I'll take it. Well, I don't understand your problem. <laughs> I, no, I don't have a problem. What I'm saying is I think that there's legal process and the way that all that works and there's trial by wine and That's I think right. that yeah, I'm ready I could for happily trial by lump wineness. a few more on him, right? Like uh, The 152, what were the numbers earlier that we attributed to all these other homosexuals and yeah, all of that. pedophiles? He can have all those too. So, so that's the story, right? We are... <laughs> Four and a half hours in to what is a, a fairly lengthy story. Well, I'm ready to sentence this motherfucker, frankly. Swanee? Yep. Although I'll oh, struggle with what I'm going to do. We've had four and a half hours to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so still in a state of shock. Yeah, yeah. I, I will admit, I struggled with determining a punishment for this individual that is as bad as the things that he's done because you know like you don't want to be as bad as the criminal but then I got over myself somewhere between victim 49 and 53 somewhere between mango chutney four and seven (laughs) (laughs) eighty-seven. which he says victim 49 Ah, and a bottle of red I think Schmidt's lining up her empty mango chutney bottles as victims. <laughs> like, oh, seriously. Oh, there's eight down there. There's eight dead bottles down there. And um, Tony brought in some red for me. And I'm like, oh, probably shouldn't have it. But anyway, I'm ready to sentence. Do you want to go hear for it? it? Go for it. Go. Yeah, go, go. And, you know, like a historic punishment. So I, I went back and said, what's the worst punishment of all time, most excruciating? Because, you know, this guy's cutting off people's bits. He's just, he's just awful. He's, just, he's torturing them. And I think we finally, after <laughs> three and a half to four hours, worked out that he was doing it before he ejaculated. Drink. Drink. Bingo. <laughs> bingo. Ejacula- ej- ejaculation bingo. Yeah. <laughs> that, that old game. Is that where you put the card in front of you? You've got to try and see how many numbers. <laughs> Is that anyway, your son still behind you, though? Just- just take a drink. No, just my At dog. any rate, so what's the worst thing I could do for this individual? Because I, we've had a couple of breaks, we've done two shows. I cannot even, like from the first nipple slicing, cutting off, <gasps> biting off, 
to the last pair of testicles, <sighs> lips, cut off. you know, like yeah. just everything. And then you, when you said he definitely did all this until he bingo ejaculated, I decided that he's got to suffer. He's got to, like, I can't just say death penalty is enough. It's not. A shot behind the ear is enough to stop him being a threat to humanity in this life. Yep. So in Trial by Wine World, I'm going to introduce a new really awful sick punishment. I'm going to thank a colleague of mine who talked about this the other day. So have you ever heard of Cryo Castle? Yeah, absolutely, yes. Up near no? Ballarat that way? Near Ballarat, Carla. Someone has built this, you know, replica <laughs> medieval castle. castle. Yeah. Medieval. Medieval Medi- castle. Medieval, medieval, yes, like medieval dates. It's from medieval. Carl <laughs> Carl's is this medieval castle, right? Medieval. And this guy I was talking to the other day was was telling me how when he was a child, and he's about my age, he went to Carl Castle. I've never been there. He went there and he said he was scarred by what he saw. And at one what point. What did he say? Well, they, saw, they had this, uh, you know, wench come out who'd done the wrong thing and they pulled her dress down and they whipped her in front of everyone and obviously they had paint or, what, you know, like whatever it took to make her look like she was getting a good flogging with blood and blah, blah. And as these little kids, they were like horrified. Oh, family entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Quick, take the kids. I, I swear we went on school excursions to excursions, probably. Sounds like it. But worse yet, he said he remembered this bit where they went down into the dungeons and there was this whole conversation about what they did to, like, the medieval, oh, sorry, Carla, the medieval punishments for people. And one of them was rat punishment, rat torture. (gasps) Rat torture consists of putting a person, putting a box of rats on the person and then heating up the box of rats so that the rats have nowhere to go but to eat into the body. I know. That was Miss Castle? That is family fun, isn't it? (laughs) Poor child. He was telling me about how scarred he was and I was like, oh, my. I don't doubt it. Oh, my Lord. Honestly, I think that was part of the syllabus back then. I swear that was part of the syllabus. And I thought to myself, I swear to God, that's got to be something I hang on to for trial by wine. And here I am because this man has tortured people. His ejaculation, drink. Drink, bingo. Far out, Schmitty. I can barely sit up anymore. Point is, you put the rats on him. And they eat and scratch into him because I think you put the take... lime in the coconut and drink it all down. You put the lime in the rats on the stomach and heat them all up. You put the rats in the stomach and they crunch it all down oh. because the kind of shit that he did was horrendous, terribly innocent victims. <sighs> so many families, so many people impacted. I mean, that's the worst I can think of. It's probably not the worst, worst oh, in the world. Oh, it's bad, though. Yeah, it's bad, though. But also, of course, it's in perpetuum, so it's a version of hell. <laughs> that's my... Well played. Slightly I think... lame, I think, but the best I can come up with is I'm so traumatised. It's hard to <laughs> outdo him. It's just, yeah, it's yeah. Just... Exactly. I... I'm so traumatised by him. I yeah. think for me, I've sort of looked at it in two tangents, and one of the things is I will, I'll just park him for the moment. I think if there's any other sort of entity within the story that I would like to punish, it would just be, and I don't know if it's the government that I'm focusing this on, but I think you'll understand what I mean. It's the agencies that were so instrumental in keeping it from the public because I think that 
in doing yeah. so, it went on and on and on. And, I mean, the rate that he was killing at, it wasn't like it would happen once or twice a year. It was, you know, within the next 10 days we've done this and then the next two Three weeks. Three days later or two days later. Insane. Or, yeah. And to be honest, it's not to say that even if it had been had become public knowledge that it would have been able to save the people who were on sort of the, you know, Fringes. The fringes, the outskirts. The fringes, that's it. One glass of wine and I'm terrible. Um, Fringe festival. But oh, come like, on, Swanee. I've had eight mango chutneys. I know, you can, you can tell who the, the seasoned drink is. It's not me. <laughs> so I think, you know, maybe that would not have saved them. But I think if, if there was, I think it was in their, their duty of care to their people to let them know that this was happening. You know, if it was a wild animal, then that was how it was 100%. behaving. They would have to do that. They would, and, seriously, if it was a wild animal, people yeah. would have gone out and shot wolves, shot, Correct. you know, like people would have hunted for this. Shot possums. Yeah. They didn't know that there was this absolute savage beast because that's kind of what he was. Well, very much what he was actually. He, he was. was. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, why? He was essentially, yeah, yeah. he was mauling people and doing the most horrendous things to them. I just, I think it is, I cannot believe I don't, don't know about it. I think it's. Probably one of the worst stories I've heard. It mm. is just so upsetting that I actually feel I don't know. It's kind of really belittles it to to sentence someone. But so I think I'll say that with the, with respect to the government, I think they absolutely did the wrong thing. That 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 bothers me hugely. And with respect to him, I I don't know that there's anything that you could do to someone. You know how I often try go try and go back to see what this person was like from a psychological point of view. What were their triggers? What was what was something that they was they were so desperate for that they couldn't get. And then whilst we've been doing this for the last four and a half hours, I did have a little peek and there's one quote that I found at one point that I can no longer find, but he's referencing the psychologist who did that first profile that Clarkie talked about in mm. part one. And he said that person was his best friend because that person is the only person who ever understood, understood him. him. He got yep. him bang yep. on. And yep. I don't know how I can create a punishment within that, but it just speaks volumes. He said, I never had a friend, ever. No one ever understood me. I was on my own. I have just been bullied, harassed, all these things through my life, so terrible. I struggle with this because all I, I know where that I know where he's at, but how do I then punish that? I don't know there's a punishment for it. The punishment was the life that he lived and then he just inflicted it on everybody else. So my only punishment was he didn't exist. That's all I could come up with. Well, you unmake him Which is or useful, yeah. you say at some point we fear his life away and this never happened. So it's sort of like unmaking but it's he gets to be a complete nobody and live a normal life and not be a serial killing wanker that he was. By, For one of a better word. Well, no, the exact words, right? Because no. that's what he was doing. He was True. serially oh, okay. killing people in order to ejaculate, drink. Here's the master maz. Schmitty, next time I see you, I'm going to punch you because you have said that word too many times and made me drink. And yet I didn't do it for so many hours. I'm a good girl, really. I think, to your point, Swanee, that could have been turned earlier. He had mm. no friends. He had no one. Yeah. I'm not, I don't feel sorry for him. It's he, not an excuse, a, though, is it, to, no. to then be so brutal and, you know, the, the the victims that he chose, the women, the young girls, the young boys, it just breaks my Babies. heart. I feel really. Babies, like, you know, like yeah. nine, ten-year-olds. yeah. And the most horrific death you can imagine. I just, I can't. Well, really you know, you, you would put a dog down if they showed signs of these sorts of things, but but no one saw it. I think that's the problem. Like that's weird, isn't it? It that's the weird bit. Fifty three to fifty seven victims, and no one saw it. Oh, I can't get past it. 
Take us home, Clarky. <laughs> Remember this story came to us because we were talking about the name change from coon to cheer and fags to fads and redskins oh. to red rippers. Oh, it all seems so pedestrian now. So my first sentence is to Alan's, who used to make redskins, oh. who then decided uh-huh. that red rippers would be a better name. I like and, and so, the red ripper. Well, they didn't do their oh, due diligence, on. did they? Someone should so, have. So there was a song. do is Google it. There was a yeah, song called Nude School by Painters and Dockers back in the 80s, I reckon. But I want to send Alan's to woke school. But I think at some point we need to stop pointing out all the things that are wrong and start to point out all the things that are right. And I would say that, you know, I'm, I'm not overly comfortable with a family name of Coon having to change their name because it offends Indigenous People. Australians. Yeah. I'm absolutely supportive of the fight that Indigenous Australians have, right? So I, I don't 100%. I don't want to devalue yeah. that. But I think it's their name. It's their, it's their family name. But also then the tra- transition from fags to fads, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know any gay person, and I know a lot of gay people, Correct. but I don't know anyone. Who but what I'm saying is that I think there's people who aren't. How do you feel? How do you feel about fairy penguins? Well, I always thought they were fairy penguins. Now they're little penguins, and I don't understand why. But apparently, because gay people were offended by it because it was of the use of the word fairy, right? But were they? This I is my think point. So. This or is was my it non-gay point. people who thought gay people might have been offended had so, to change it? So to yeah. my point, how many Indian Americans were offended by the oh, I, I, I can't call I can't comment on that. No, no, but, but how many no, but what I'm saying is that how many were offended by a, a lolly Red sold skin. in Australia called Redskins that then yeah, but it was... got its name changed to Red Rippers. My my point is Allens need to go to woke school. And I'm sure, I'm sure a whole lot of people do because we can all woke the fuck out of each other. But if you're going to go from something that is offensive to somebody, don't transition it to a serial killer because that's not okay. You know, like be better than that. That's atrocious. So, so Alan's need to go to work school, similarly to the painters and doctors went to nude school. Uh, so that's my first oh, one. Oh, that was the connection Seriously. to nude school. It took me a while to get there, right? Yeah, yeah. So, no, that was it. Sorry, I'm not comfortable with 1980s Soviet Russia who thinks that they don't have serial killers. Neither were a lot of people, but, yeah, go on. <laughs> a lot of people don't have the voice to discuss this right now. So you can laugh at that, okay. but I'm just going to say that I'm going to say what I think and hopefully others agree. If no, not- I just mean that everything that came out in mod- uh, media in the 1980s, Carla, correct me if I'm wrong, the Russians were the enemy correct. on everything. Yeah. Top Gun, everything. Like Didn't no matter. one was enemy. comfortable with 1980s Russia. Anyway, go ahead. It's, no, it's an excellent <laughs> point. The bit that I've been <laughs> struggling with is the fact that also – What's going on at the moment in um, between Russia and Ukraine has hit home for me as I've gone through this, right? So I don't, I don't say that lightly. I just go, I, I'm not okay with what was going on then. I don't like a government that says this is not happening whilst clearly it is. And when people say to them, no, it is happening, they go, let's hide it. I'm not okay with that. We can call that 1984's Soviet Union. We can call it Russia nowadays. We can call it a number of political regimes around the, 
that globe, I am not okay with it. I, I don't know how to sentence that other than to say that I just want to call it out because I feel like it's coming back with fades. <laughs> Chikatilo, like how do you how do you sentence someone like that? There is there is no cometh uppance. There is no cometh uppance for him, right? He he said I did it, he said I didn't do it, maybe I did, I might have done that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Just, I, I think, honestly, just die. I'd, I, I probably, if I could change something, I would have taken the cage away and allowed public plugging. the gallery to have their way and then let's have the trial because he wow. he did it. He did every bit of it and a whole lot more. Maybe a little bit of, you know, cheese grater, ball sack action. Maybe <laughs> that would go well for Chigatillo whilst he's in court being berated by the gallery. Probably that's it for me. Okay. <laughs> well, that has been the most extraordinary two episodes. So well done, Clarky. I'm going to have to revisit what I'm going to doing next time and we're going to go back to something extreme, exceptionally light. <laughs> I feel like you said it, you know, you, you created this monster. Oh, yeah. It's and you delivered. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was unbelievable. Good job. Good job. All right. Well, thank you very much. And as we say every week, miss you already. Love you long time. Bye. Bye-bye. Ta-da. Thanks for listening to Trial by Wine. You can contact us at trialbywine at gmail.com. Please rate, review and subscribe to Trial by Wine on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron at www.patreon.com, Trial by Wine. Or visit our website, www.trialbywine.com to donate to us. Your support will help us cover many more cases and apply wacky sentences. We really appreciate you listening and hope you tell everyone about us. Our cover art is by John Christo and music is by Beauchamp from pixabay.com.